Hey guys, uh, another episode of Digging Deeper. Robert here with the one, the only, Anthony Hall. Oh man, this is a dangerous <laughs> duo to put on it camera. Is. <laughs> it is. I think that when I said your last name too, it like rolled an R or something. Yeah, you <laughs> said R. Yeah. <laughs> this is anyway, uh, yeah, so, you know, we shared last week, we kicked off a series called Fear Not. And uh, I would love to talk with about, with you about it. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I love it. If you weren't there Sunday, go watch the message online. You need, you need to see it. And not only that, but I want to open today kind of the way we opened Sunday or the way you opened Sunday. Okay. Magic edit. Magic edit, man. So you kind of showed me this, and then we went on a, uh, a research is what we're calling it, and it's some important ministry function research. Yeah. Deep, uh, a deep dive into yes. a ministry system called Canva. Yes. <laughs> Which, if you know what Canva is, then you're probably in the same category as Robert and I. If It's just a, a resource where you basically can build graphics at a lot. It's like simple. Like you just attach it's something. It's simple. just one click versus having to do it all from scratch like some of the other platforms. <laughs> this is not a commercial yeah, for yeah, Canva. We're, not, we're but... not sponsored by Canva. <laughs> but, but I opened Canva one day to do an Instagram post for, post for our youth ministry. If you don't know, I'm the youth pastor here. And when I opened it, it immediately pulled up and it was like, try magic edit. So immediately I go, Robert, I'm like, come yeah. here. And he comes in and we start kind of messing around on it. And what you do is you take pictures and you upload them and then you highlight a portion of them and you can type in anything and it'll transform them. It just, it's pretty, it's freaky. Is it what it is? It is. It is. Like speaking of fear not, like that's why I open with it. Cause I'm like, AI is getting yeah. scary How to the point you where you can't anything? trust anything you see. Cause it's so easy to edit everything yeah. around you to be anything you want. And especially when like Pete looks just so natural in a wizard's robe you know what i mean it's hard to trust that that picture is not from like a comic-con i thought past. he looked natural in all those things right but yeah. uh especially the king outfit that was very fitting for That's him true. so i especially like the version of him that was just like more handsome stronger yeah. that was the best i think it's so. i think it's great and it, it also is true that it makes it hard to trust things yeah and as funny as it was it as great as it was to kind of mess around on that yeah i feel like for me, when you said that, immediately I didn't even have a question to me that's like, that's not true, or I didn't feel defensive in any way. I was immediately like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It is hard to trust. It me. is hard to trust what you see. And I started to think about how much time it took me and you to figure out how Magic Edit worked. And then I think about like the kids now, and I'm like, they probably pick it up like that. So fast. And they're probably yes. using it. Like we are, you know, we get there and two goofballs, we're like, how can we make Pete a wizard, right? But other people get on there and I'm like, what are what are people doing on this? Like I don't what know. blemishes? What yeah. things are they covering up to, you know, kind of portray a different version of themselves? And Absolutely. so it, it just kind of stirs this question in me, like when it comes to just where we're at today in the world, and that could be AI, but what do you think is one of the biggest like kind of things that stirs the inability to trust. You know what I mean? Like it takes away our opportunity or really just our window for trust in people, or at least for you, like for Robert, yeah. what, what makes it hard to trust? You don't have to name drop people, obviously, but like reasons, you know, that you wouldn't trust. Honestly, someone. it's usually like, and I, I don't know if you identify with this, but I'm always wondering what is someone's agenda behind the words that they are saying? And, and and you you know we're in this era where and, and I guess that kind of goes into the message even yesterday of you know being worried about what people think, um, but I also do feel that tension all the time where if someone says something or portrays one way, then you start to ask the underlying question yeah. of what is the motivation? What is the agenda? You know, like, are they trying to gain a leverage or are they trying to get something, you know, you know, to, to advance themselves or what, what does it look like? And that's where it kind of gets really hard to trust. Are they trying to sell something? Right. It seems like, yes. it oh. seems like in this era, there's like, 
someone's always trying to sell you something like, you know, financial freedom these days looks like multi-level marketing and it's Good something point. where you, you know, you, you turn your relationships and, and I know a lot of people that are, um, that have businesses with multi-level marketing or some kind of coaching or something like that, yeah. that do a really good job of, of kind of having it available, but not making it their, their leading motivation and agenda in every conversation. Mm. But I know that you have probably encountered people that are not good at it. Oh, and yeah. they literally, yes. like you thought you were friends and you realize I'm not your friend. I'm just your customer oh, all yeah. the time. And that makes it hard. I think sometimes to trust people. Yeah. Um, it also is hard to trust people. Um, when you've already been deceived, not necessarily even by that person. And, and I see that happening a lot and a lot of consequences that, that our society and our culture is facing because a lot of people feel wildly deceived by so many different things. You know, people will post conspiracy theories or, you know, things that maybe aren't even conspiracy theories, but they almost sound like them. And yeah. it seems like so many people are finding uh, ways to highlight the ways that they have been deceived and then they they incorporate that into every relationship and interaction that they have with everybody else. They're almost going into a conversation or into a relationship with the expectation that there's some kind of deception that's going to happen. Yeah, and that so creates a fragmented foundation of trust. I think culture wide that, um, that really kind of creates barriers to mm. real genuine relationship, which is why there's such a value on authentic relationships these days mm. because there's a scarcity, yeah. you know? And so you hear that all the time. Like I want real lasting community. Yeah. I want authentic relationships. I, w I want someone to get real with me, you know, yeah. and things like that. And the reason why they're even expressing that need is because there is a felt need, a felt mm. tension because of the scarcity and the yeah. experience of so much of that that isn't. And you know what's crazy yeah. is we're, we're meaning culture, I guess the world sure. is so consumed with that too that when you do end up in a healthy relationship or you do have like those healthy friendships that you're looking for, or the healthy community, what I've seen, especially in teenagers, is they're immediately uncomfortable with it because they're not used to it because mm. it looks different than everything else they've experienced. Yeah. So then it's almost like you got to shake them and be like, this is literally what you wanted. This is what a healthy friendship looks like. Accountability comes with it. You Absolutely. know, that type of stuff where they're like just so used to that surface level what can you give me? What can I get out of it type of relationships that it's just like now they actually have someone that's willing wow. to go the extra mile and yes. it feels weird and uncomfortable to them and they're just missing it in plain sight. Because we're in a culture shift right now mm. with social media, but it's not just social media where what you see first is the edited, gone through a filter image that yeah. someone puts forward, and then you get to meet the rest of the person afterwards. I mean, have you ever had the experience where you know you are introduced by someone or introduced to someone, and you kind of like you can see like their social media pictures, and then you meet them in person, you're like, "Whoa, that's not yeah. the same person, right?" Oh, like yeah. so many filters, so many like, and 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 I think that we do that not just in social media, but we've learned that behavior of how to almost filter the image that we portray to everybody mm. because we're trying to actually adjust the image that we put forward to fit the expectations that we think people have for us. Yeah, and so great. if we think that people have an expectation that we are going to be a creative, all of a sudden you've got more kids that are apparently, you know, in, you know, in your realm, yeah. you have a lot of youth, you know, aged uh, people that are really like 
they're all artists for some reason, or or, or, or everyone's an athlete that's apparently going yeah. to be getting a full ride scholarship, or everyone is. It seems like, that is true. and it's like this portrayal that you can put, and we we have been given more vehicles than ever yeah. to be able to present an image before you even actually meet the person. It's so true, and what's crazy is what happens is that also diminishes the value of like real recognition. Like when you think about it, like with these kids that go to social media, for example, like talking yeah, about sure. teenagers, they so many of them are indirectly impacted by what other people say about other people. So like that was one of the things you talked about is like voices Mm -hmm. that are leading us, right? And like what I mean by that, I'll kind of break it down because I know that's a bit of like a tongue twister. But like I don't have to see your Instagram. I'll just use you for example. I don't have to look at a picture you post and go, Robert, what is that? Or Robert, that's a great post. Yeah. A lot of times it's indirect. Like they'll hear someone say it to someone else. So I might be like, Pete, that that picture that you posted, oh, beautiful, love it, amazing picture. And then what they're doing is instead of being like, oh, Pete posted a good picture, they're immediately going, I'm doing something wrong because I'm not getting that same recognition. Like a comparison. I, I need to do something different. Now I got to do what Pete does. Yeah. And next thing you know, you have all these, uh, this whole generation of influencers and people that want to yes. be influencers but all they do is copycat each other absolutely I'm like, influencing is the complete opposite of that because they're so weighted and motivated by yeah. what just other people think what other people think yeah. and 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 i mean i think that you're touching on something that i did not talk about in the message but mm. um because i can only talk about so many yeah, different exactly. things but a big side product or a side effect rather of um of being over considering of like other people's opinions about you or those connected to you is that you can get stuck in the slavery of comparison, yeah. right? Where you are constantly comparing yourself to other people. And mm-hmm. so you start to have this uh, motivation to try to adjust your life to look more like somebody else's. That's great. And it's not even what their life might actually be. Yeah. It's just what their life has the image of being. You did and, say that in your message. And to an extent, right? That's true. But, but to the point where we, we will adjust our lives, not just based on what the narrative that we're playwriting in our brains Mm. about what people are thinking or expecting or what's not going to disappoint them or what's going to get us embraced or accepted by different people. But we're also now uh, like motivated by our comparison and what makes us feel very insecure oftentimes when we look at what someone else is presenting Mm. and we look at them and go, wow, that one's that's so much better. I, I need to get there. Yeah. I need to do that. And then we start to, like you say, we just start copying each other. Yeah. So now what used to be original, yep. like it's originality is kind of scarce, right? Oh, like everything sure. is, everything is a copy of one of something else. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like we're all trying to be original by being just like everybody else, which isn't anything new. But it's heightened now that there is an overexposure due to social media and just the internet at large. Yeah. Man, that's great. We're more interconnected than ever, but more disconnected than ever at the same time. And and I feel like I on the topic of comparison, like I feel like I see this a lot with teenagers and with I would say peers that yeah. are believers and are Christian and uh I would say even are just constantly trying to pursue Jesus. But they there's this kind of mindset almost that like I won't deal with comparison when I'm mm. walking with Jesus, <laughs> when I'm walking yeah. with God or living for God. And first of all, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not, not correct. As great as that might feel to think it's just not true. And so I'm wondering like, what, what do you feel like in kind of the, the Christian sphere, what, what are some like areas of comparison that people fall into? Like other, other people's opinions that we maybe lean to too, too much. 
Um, I think it goes from everything to whether or not I should raise my hands during worship mm-hmm. to um, what right. what uh, leadership role should I be in or what what um, way should I be serving? Yeah. Um, how much money should I be giving? Right. Um, how much church events and mission trips and, um, and outreaches should I be attending and a part of? Like it goes all throughout all those things, yeah. right? Like should I look um, and dress like, like this preacher over here or, or, or should I, you know, uh, you know, we can even take it to the other extreme of like, I can't dress like that because I don't want people to judge me. And so then all of a sudden, like you start to monitor even what you have and what you are and what you're into mm-hmm. based on the opinions of other people or the fear of opinions of other people yeah. to the point where you're like, yeah, I really need to get a new car. Mm-hmm. But if I get a new car, what if they look at it and go, oh, is that where all of, I mean, as some people that yeah, are on exactly. staff, or is that where all our tithe money's going and things like that too? And it's like, I'm not, like, there is something wrong probably with yeah. going and getting a Bentley, but, uh, you know, um, but, but oftentimes I think that even when you are working in ministry, mm-hmm. you get stuck in the trap of being so afraid and frozen by yeah. what everyone thinks that you'll actually start to be neglectful of mm-hmm. certain things, um, rather than have the freedom to be able just to, uh, enjoy some of the provisions that God has given you, yeah. you know? And so I, I think on all those spectrums the, that happens. And, and I mean, at, you know, I mentioned at the very first part of this, that even like whether or not I should raise my hands during worship, like you feel that tension all the time. Um, like I know that, you know, if you are a Christian that has been in a plethora of different types of churches, um, that's, that's a great true. word, plethora, plethora. but, uh, um, of different types of churches with different types of expressions, then you have experienced this tension yeah. where you go into, let's say maybe a, a church that's a little bit more traditional. It's yeah. a nice way. Um, <laughs> and so, so maybe it's a little bit more like kind of quiet, less yeah. um, emotion and passion driven, like, like singing <laughs> kind of, kind of that deal. Like people don't really raise their hands. They, yeah. they don't really move, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, then like, they'll just be stone faced. And then at the end, they're like, amazing worship set and you're like you enjoyed that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, wait a minute <laughs> so so different yeah different expression different people but I, if you've ever been in an environment like that you know like i tend to be a, a raise your hand and yeah and and oh, belted out kind of guy the charismatic background is definitely not shy of <laughs> yeah and so but i get in an environment like that and i'm like i will fold my hands you know and like yeah. and even then you're feeling like the, the the focus is supposed to be on Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and your yeah. authentic you're relationship with him. Are thinking of you. And yet I am, there's a subconscious thing or yeah. conscious thing of like, man, nobody else is raising their hands. No one, everyone's singing pretty quiet, like respectfully, reverently. Yeah. And, and, and there is, I'm not taking away the, from the value of an environment like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different from the expression that I prefer. However, yeah. I also know that there's value in it for other people. So that's sure. great. The only thing is, is I'm recognizing that there is a social pressure that happens because of the environment you're in. And we take that to every aspect of our faith where there's a social pressure and a certain environment to be an evangelist. And so you go into one church and everyone's sharing their faith. Everyone's motivated towards it. And then you get into another environment where it's like, um, you know, sharing your faith feels like you're selling something, you know, all yeah. the time. And so then it's like, no, 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 we never want to do that. Like and that, so yeah. there becomes a resistance to it. For example, it goes into every avenue of your faith. There's, there's an environment where it's like, man, I, we read the Bible all the time. Like we're yeah. really committed to the word of God. And so then you're there and you're committed to the word of God and you put place a high value on, on the Bible. And there's other environments where it's kind of like, no, 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 we just, we just talk about, you know, whatever yeah. else. And, and so then all of a sudden that's not a priority. Exactly. Your priorities are often 
oftentimes set by the pressures of the social circles that you're allowing yourself to be in. That's great. And so, and, yeah. and even when it comes to our social circles, what I'm going to have you say this so I don't butcher it, but your okay. second point yesterday, say, tell me what it was again the, uh, when, it, when considering the voices. Yeah. So in context, uh, I was talking about these different voices that drive us to become who we are becoming. And the first one was a voice of what others think about you. Yep. The next one was a voice of what others think about those connected to you. Yes. The uh, voice of what others think about those connected to you. Because Joseph, we're talking about Joseph here. Joseph was, um, the Bible first describes him as a man faithful to the law. Other yeah. versions say a just man, a righteous man. Like he has a reputation to uphold and and that's driving him in the beginning. And then it goes towards, oh no, he's he's worried about Mary. Mary he doesn't yep. want to expose her to public disgrace is what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And so he's driven now and motivated by what people might think about someone connected to him. Whether that is going to affect his reputation yeah. and become a liability for the image that he's built, he's a carpenter, he's been working on this thing for a long yeah. time, or if it is even just selfless and it's completely benevolent towards Mary, even so, it's still coming from a place of being afraid of what other people think. But in this case, it's about yeah. Mary. And as parents man, we experience that all the time. Like you probably experience that as a youth pastor. Yeah, when when people are like those rascally, you know, youth oh, kids, those, yeah. those, those rebellious teenagers, you're kind of, that's probably something in it goes, yeah. goes, why are they running to grab donut holes? I'm like, because they can still run. None of us can. Like, I'm like <laughs> yeah, there, there they can go. still run. So that's why they're running there. <laughs> I would awesome. be running there if <laughs> I They don't have arthritis. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> two, two knees intact. <laughs> oh man. No, that's, that's so okay. true though. Cause like, I, I was thinking about it though. And I'm like, it's, it's interesting when, like you do take it personal, like the opinions yeah. that other people have for the people around you. And I don't know, I'm sure you feel this too. I think everyone yeah. does, but especially when I first started walking with Jesus, I had so many, I mean, everyone in my life before that was, you know, had no church experience, was also not planning on it. <laughs> and so like, there were so many of them that I didn't just cut out and I yeah. wanted to keep so close that I felt like so insecure about honestly, because I was worried about what other people, what your said other Christian friends might them. think if yep. you have these friends, I get still. this new environment yep. now and these Christians that are sure. loving and you know, they're for you and all this. And then the second I'm like, you know, they hear a little bit about my story or something and they're like, wow. And then I'm like, yeah, so I still have, you know, these friends and they're like, what you're still around them. You're still this, this, this. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? And like, at first, yeah. it, the tension is like kind of aggression. Like I want to push back on that, but then like, like over time, it wears on you, and it becomes like an insecurity. Like I said sure. earlier, and you start to kind of worry. Like, and and you said it in your message, but people have to take the time to put themselves in like Joseph's shoes in this situation. Yeah, how would you feel <laughs> if Mary, your wife, who you you know have not <laughs> had sex with, had sex with, was pregnant? Like, yeah. what? What what emotions are you feeling at that level? It's already going to be escalated. There's so many obviously. dynamics and consequences with that. I know. Yeah. And, and I think so many people hear it, and because it's a story we hear often, it's easy to kind of like brush it off. But even for the people listening, like put yourself, take a couple minutes and just think about how you would respond emotionally. It is probably not going to be healthy. <laughs> like not going to be drawn out, not going to be processed. You're probably going to do a lot of things immediately that aren't, aren't the best choice to make. You'll hear a bunch of voices. Yes. And, and I'm not meaning like in a, um, you know, yeah. a, in like a psychosis type of way. I, I mean, you'll hear a bunch of, uh, of motivations and ideas yeah. and worries and anxieties that will start to enter the picture and that you'll start to play scenarios yeah. out. Your At least, first thought isn't, oh God, 
you bless me. Thank you. This is incredible. Sure. You're you're immediately in your head. You're going, what What can I do now? What should I do now? What are people going to think of me? What are people going to think of her? What, Absolutely. You know, and you go on this rabbit trail and you kind of lose your mind over time, it feels like. And for Joseph, what he experienced was unprecedented, yeah. right? Like, um, and, and I think it's the only time it's ever going to happen. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, I mean, like what he was experiencing was something that he had no context or previous yeah. precedent for. And, and, and I would actually define wisdom that way. And, and in that way, I actually think Joseph is a very profound picture of what wisdom is because wisdom can be defined as knowing what to do when there is no precedent. Right, like, like it's, it's it's it might be wise when you are like, okay, I know what to do because I've seen, you know, the experience of other people and to learn how to do it too, and and you're kind of learning, you know, from their wisdom and and there's an experience level to that too. There's a deep set of wisdom when there's no precedent and you don't know what to do, and you don't there's you know, and you're like, okay. If I try to go my direction or my ways, then I might get in trouble. But then the Bible says, you know, higher are his thoughts and higher are his yeah. ways and your ways and my ways. And so so then you start to say, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. That's wisdom. And that's yeah. what Joseph portrays in such a powerful way. Because, I mean, he took something that was an unprecedented event that was a disruption to his identity, a disruption to yeah. his image, and a danger for Mary. And, and that's what he's responding to. But, and you and I, we face situations not like that, but like but that. Like that, yeah. All the time, right? Yeah, definitely. Or things that disrupt the image or the status quo that we've always had. And sometimes it's really positive, and sometimes it's just terrifying. And we yeah. need to hear those words, fear not. Yeah, and, yeah. and even when you kind of get to that fear not stage, the last thing you talked about was obedience. Yeah. Joseph's, Joseph's obedience. And I think like especially with teenagers, again, I work with teenagers more than anyone, so I speak yeah. to them a lot more, but like, I see this desire to obey, but it's like, it's almost as if they're, they feel like they have to get to a certain spot before they even have the opportunity to. Explain that. What do you like, mean? Like, it's, it's, I want this relationship with God. I want God to show up in my life. I want to do what's going to, you know, the things that are going to glorify him. And then they, they can just do it, you know, but, okay. but to them there's, because of all these voices in their head, there's something, whether it's what it means to be a Christian publicly, or I don't know what, oh, in their schools or their going. teams, okay. something there is stopping them from just obeying. Instead, it leaves them in this position of wanting to obey, or they feel like I have to, okay, once I've been in church five years, I've been baptized once, rededicated once, I graduate high school, now I'm going to obey God. I get now, now when I'm through all the difficult, uncomfortable stuff, yeah. I can I can obey God. What you're touching on is huge because you know obedience. The road to obedience is going to be filled with obstacles that are cr- created by uh, the world and and the things around us that are um, that are barriers or discouragements towards obedience to Jesus. Yeah. But there's also this construction that we've created, like out of a good will, out of a good heart yep. to create a pathway for people. But people have become so tied to this pathway and this journey that they think they're supposed to have, yep. they feel like they can't be obedient to this level over here until they've taken these steps over here yep. and they have all these other steps between because we've kind of created these pathways yeah. for people and it, and it's and it's necessary. Like you need to create discipleship pathways for people. But if we are too dogmatic or legalistic about it, then it can breed actually, and I think this is what you were kind of referring to a little bit, it can breed this mindset of um, before I can, 
you know, before, if, if God ever called me to be a pastor, I'd have to go to seminary first. That yeah. used to be the thing, right? Yeah. Like you have to go to seminary oh, before you can that, do yeah. that kind of things, right? You have to have a master's and you have to, you have to, you have <laughs> yeah, to, all these things. You have to get the, you have to get preparation and we call it equipping, right? Mm-hmm. We, you have to be equipped for, for the work mm-hmm. um, before you can actually engage in the work, which is not exactly what I see in the New Testament, mm-hmm. right? Like oftentimes I saw equipping happen while engagement in the mission of Christ. Jesus would say, follow me. And then on the way, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Yeah. Like, follow me, and it's going to take some initial sacrifice and obedience. It's going to, I mean, a lot of you know, yeah. initial sacrifice and obedience. But then as you go, I will train and equip you for yeah. the work of the ministry. And as a matter of fact, Ephesians tells us that the, the purpose of those that are holding kind of leadership offices in the church, that for you and I who are pastors, our job is not to do the work of the ministry because we are suddenly equipped for it. Yep. It is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I believe that actually happens within the context of doing the ministry because there's always a demand for it. Yeah. There's always people hurting that need hope and healing. Mm-hmm. There always is. There's always a, a necessity for a loving and life-giving church who would bring hope and healing in, in the name yeah. of Jesus. That's always a necessity. Well, and I think like even like one of the biggest hesitations when it comes to obedience that I see too, and I felt even within my own walk with God is like, I think that throughout all the voices we face that are leading us constantly and the um, the comparison, it starts to birth this like expectation. Sure. Of what and they so look then, like, and what so they then, act when like, you're when you're like. standing there and you're saying, "God, I want you to use me. I want you to, you know, I want to obey you. I want you to show up in mm-hmm. my life. I want you to be at the front." You might mean it, but when you have an expectation tied to it, you're gonna miss what God's doing because it doesn't always look like what He did for you know your friend Susie or what He did for Robert or what He did for me. Like God, God works differently for every single person, and so when they go mm-hmm. in with this expectation, it it limits their opportunity to actually obey because they're missing God in plain sight. That's good. Because they're they're yeah. being led by this uh that comparison, right? That voice of, well, well, for them, they got approval like that, you know, the I, I'll just say like a quick story for me. Like I remember being in college early on and this was something I struggled with. Yeah. Because I, I cared so much about the voice of other people around me because I had a lot of great leaders at my college. Uh and a lot of them probably without even knowing we're doing more harm than good at times because they'd be like, hey, we want to shout out this student. And they'd call a student up and be like, hey, you have just been crushing school. And you know, you've been leading the kids' ministry. That. You're doing amazing. Yeah. And so then for me, when I'm like, okay, I want to be better at obeying God right now. I want to be, you know, living the life yes. God wants for me. I don't go, God, do whatever that is and help me be aware of it. No, I go, God, I need to get in kids' ministry because that's the only way to get the approval, you know? And like, even though there was a lot of growing I still needed to do at the time. That's what that communicated to me. That's what those voices were saying is like, if, if I want to succeed, I need to be in Kidsman and I need to have the good grades and I need to be in the front, the first person in college to get to the front of the chapel and worship. And, yeah. and it's a lie. Like just because it works for someone else and just because someone else is getting praise for it doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm not obeying God. But ultimately, when we tie that expectation to obedience and we expect specific results, we're probably going to miss what God's actually doing. You know, this is um, this is dangerous for me to say, given uh, what I do for a living here um, and what I do with my life. But in a lot of ways, the stage is one of the worst things to ever happen to a tr- happen to the church because we have now like defined what church is based on even just a configuration of where we gather 
being where everybody is standing and watching a few people up on stage. And I like to say this, we we oftentimes have big churches with small platforms, mm-hmm. meaning there's only room for a few. And so now you've kind of created this envy culture or this comparison yeah. culture or this goal-oriented culture that's all about not necessarily being just obedient to God, but being able to prove your obedience and your faithfulness to God and that you're prove that you are at a certain point in your journey by getting up on that stage. Yeah. And until you can get up there, so many people feel like they are overlooked, like they are inadequate, and they will compare themselves. And we have created, you know, full birthed into this thing, this whole celebrity, pastor, worship leader, you fill in the blank culture, mm-hmm. where we live our lives spiritually, vicariously, through these images that we see up on stages. And so we see everyone, especially with social media and YouTube and, and the internet and everything that the, the globalization of access gives us to information everywhere, we see all these Christians that are like, I have all these favorite pastors. And oftentimes that's great if all these pastors are, are being used by God to speak into your life, to exhort you or challenge you or convict you closer to what Jesus wants you to be. But oftentimes when people say, I have all these favorite pastors, I want to be like them. They're saying, I have all these people that I wish I was like, or that yeah. I wish I remember, I remember being in, in certain places and watching wives elbow their husbands, you know, and, 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 and point up at the pastor almost as if it was like, you should be more like him, you know, like all frustrated with their husbands as he's talking about the way he is patient with his wife up on stage. And it's like, come on, like, yeah. you know, we've created this little bit of comparison culture through the celebrity culture, but also like this insecurity that happens in people that makes people feel inadequate for the work of the ministry that our very job is to equip them for. Mm. And so now we're frustrated because we're like, why doesn't anyone want to engage in the work of the ministry? You know, we want to equip someone, we want to get someone there, but why don't they want to? Mm. But the truth is, is the entire atmosphere that might have been created has encouraged or discouraged people away from what they see as the primary work of the ministry that happens on that stage that we reserve for just a few. Now, there's some obviously really positive things to that stage and and the ability to equip a lot of people at once. And there's all those different benefits. And, yeah. and I'm not saying get rid of it. You know, there's times that I want to, if I'm being honest, you know, cause I, cause I believe in the people of God so much. Like I believe yeah. in the person who's sitting in the, the, the third row from the back on the left side. Like I believe, you know, and there's times when I will go before service and, and I will pray over chairs. Um, mm-hmm. that is something that, I, that I've done, um, you know, all throughout being a pastor is I'll go and pray over chairs and I just, I'll just believe that God wants to do something in whoever sits in this chair's life today, yeah. right? And it's kind of exciting because then during service, you kind of watch that chair and you're like, oh, that's who sat in it, you know? And, and then you get yeah. to see like what maybe God's doing. But, you know, but oftentimes like, man, it's this entire environment and structure and, and model that we've created that we call church that kind of breeds this comparison and this feelings of inadequacy in the guy or the girl that's in the third row from the back on the left side. And they feel like their role as a Christian is to come watch, give and then go, you know, and, and, and and that's it. And, and what if there's more, but we've only compartmentalized what really happens in ministry to, I don't know, some Mm -hmm. select few that have the position. Yeah. Yeah. I had a pastor once tell me that the the fruit that comes from obedience isn't dependent on if God shows up. It's dependent on if you show up. Mm-hmm. Okay. God will work 
you have to you have to let him. God will God will show up. God will move. You have to remove the expectation from what you think the results will look like Good. in order yeah. to be aware. And and that's something that I pray. And as we kind of wrap up, I just want like yeah. to end in an encouraging way too. You know, not just say like you know we all have voices. Blah blah blah. Uh, it's great and it's true, and I'm sure everyone deals with it. But we, how have you seen in short the the fruit of the obedience in your life? Like what has God taken you to mm-hmm. and through? And what are some, yeah. maybe just like a quick way that people can prioritize obeying God and, yeah. and kind of processing through those voices? I've shared this story um, in a message before, but, um, you know, when I was a pastor early on, I was a youth pastor and young adults pastor, and um, my wife and I, we ended up having sex before we were married and we ended up getting pregnant. And it was so close to our actual wedding date that... Um, that we went, we got married and things like that. We didn't find out she was pregnant until the morning of our wedding. Like literally, like it was like that close to it. And Oof. so, yeah, it was <laughs> that, a, that eliminated all the wedding day nerves. <laughs> so, well, or something. And so, you know, and and so we went on our honeymoon and we waited a while and then we started to announce, okay, she's pregnant. She's starting to show kind of deal. And when people started to assume that it was mm-hmm. a honeymoon baby, we didn't necessarily disagree. And uh, really what it, what it came down to was I was motivated by the voice that made me want to preserve the image that I had, you know, and, and also the image that I knew my wife had, you know, and, and so I was trying to preserve all these images at the expense of obedience. Ultimately, I, I couldn't take it anymore. And I was driven to be obedient. Um, I was called out in some ways. I was confronted and, and, and I had a decision to make and I decided... I'm grateful that I decided this time. I'm I'm not happy that it took me as long as it did. But once I chose obedience, it wasn't easy. It was hard. There were some very serious consequences. I resigned. I, or like I, I was, I yeah. stepped out of a job. And so here I am, new baby, no job. That's crazy, right? Like there's a bunch of things going on. Um, you know, I, ministry was so much of my identity at the time, right? And that's something I had to learn through. But what I will say is that difficult step of obedience made me hunger for steps of obedience. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when you start to be obedient, and even when it's tough, even when it's hard, but you see how faithful God is in it, when you see how much it's true that God actually does look to and fro throughout the whole earth to stand strong on someone whose heart is loyal to him and is going to say, I'm going to stick with you, even if the consequences don't line up and seem sensible, mm-hmm. I'm still going to stay with Mary and 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 we're going to raise baby Jesus together. Like even when you're like, I, I'm, I'm still going to, to confess my sin and I'm going to step away from so much that is all that I know in my whole community, my whole relationship and and try to figure out and navigate what this is. Even when it means that you're going to move out and have to pay more rent and, and but yeah. you're going to do things God's way. You fill in the blank, whatever ex- scenario it is. When you start to see how faithful God is, it makes you hungry for more steps of obedience because yeah. you start to say, I don't want to be dependent you know, that's really what it comes down to, yeah. right? It's it's control, right? Like if I can just keep going and, and fulfilling what I think is the expectations of everybody else or, or responding to what I think everybody else is thinking about me or what people are going to think about me or if I keep trying to be obedient to, you know, the masses and the public opinion and also my mm-hmm. opinions and my desires instead of obedience to the voice of God, that, you know, when you do take the step on the other side and you say, I am going to be obedient to the voice of God and you see what God does, yeah. man, you you look at life differently. Yeah. You're, you're motivated towards it because you're like, what's he going to do next? Yeah. Like, and you see this clearly when you go to like 
the, the scary places on the mission field. You know what I'm talking about? You ever talk to a missionary that is like, you know, in a really hard place oh, yeah. to be a missionary and they will tell you, like they're excited to put themselves in what sounds like dangerous and risky positions financially, provisionally, safety, right? Yeah, they will twice. do it because they've seen God show up and they're excited for the next time he will. Yeah. And, and and man, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, should I step out and be obedient to the voice of God? Should I give more, uh, you know, authority to the voice of God in your life? Let me tell you, if you do once, you will want to again because you will see the faithfulness of God in your life. And it might take a long time for you to see the faithfulness. Oftentimes it maybe might even take years or decades afterwards. But let me tell you, when you are faithful to what God is calling you to do, then you experience what Jesus describes as a life more abundant. And I know that Anthony wants that for you. I want that for you. And so I implore you, exhort you, be sensitive to the voice of God more so than the voice of what other people think. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think I appreciated your message a ton, and I'm sure a ton of, I mean, I've heard from two or three high schoolers that sat in the service that were like, that was great, as well as middle school leaders saying, you know, we got to talk about this with high schoolers more too. So we appreciate you and everything you do, and uh, I think that's probably a wrap on this this pod, huh? All right, we'll see you next time on Digging Deeper. We're going to get to Magic Edit right now. Oh, man. See you guys next time.